Good morning. My wife, like so many parents, can vividly describe the first day she took our oldest child to kindergarten. Woven throughout that story as she tells it is a sense of joy, amazement, and sheer anxiety. There's your baby leaving the security and comfort of home for the first time for that great big world out there. Oh, she's such a big girl. <gasps> oh, is she ready? <gasps> Will she be okay? I came along several years after our oldest took that big leap across the elementary school threshold. And I have my own similar experiences like that with each of them. Dropping them off at their first week-long summer camp, times over the years when they each had to contend with school bullies, still having to drop them off at school for a time, or watching them drive away themselves for the first time after getting their driver's license. Ready or not, our children are suddenly in the world. And we can't always assure things will go well out there in the world for them. From the perspective of the child who is going off to kindergarten or to camp or driving by themselves for the first time, they also possess feelings of both excitement and apprehension all at once. And a part of that child remains with us throughout our lives in one form or another. During times of anxiety and stress, our inner child sometimes comes to the forefront and wishes it could return to a time of ultimate safety and security. Have you ever watched an infant child sleeping in someone's arms and thought to yourself something along the lines of, Boy, that would sure be nice. No worries, no stress, no wondering what tomorrow might bring. Just snug, warm, and secure. It's a feeling that comes sometimes, a lot of the time right now, when we wish we didn't have to face what it means to be in the world. Being in the world takes on a totally different meaning as we experience world pandemic. We find ourselves simultaneously missing moving about freely in the world and negotiating new concerns and new dangers in that same world. The feelings we have about our children being in the world and about the difficulties we sometimes have in the world around us can help us understand something of the power and passion of our gospel reading from John today. The gospel reading takes place at the end of Jesus' time with the disciples in the upper room the night he was betrayed. The things he shared with his disciples represent the last conversation they will have before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Their emotions had to be complicated that night too. These disciples were on the verge of being scattered like a frightened flock of sheep, and their shepherd is about to leave them in the world. And it's at that time of high emotion and anxiety 
that Jesus turns his heart toward heaven and begins to pray. And he doesn't leave out his, his own wide range of emotions in that prayer. There's a sense of fulfillment and trust alongside fear. And Jesus is undeniably aware of the danger ahead for his beloved disciples. All these elements are at the heart of Jesus' prayer. It's time to leave his followers in the world. How hard that must have been for him to do. And yet how much he must have been ready to fulfill his earthly ministry. The followers of Jesus yet still must remain in the world. And the heart of Christ is filled with concern for them as we were for our kids at those moments in their lives. Likewise was Jesus' concern for his followers. The two dimensions of Jesus' prayer in our reading have to do with purpose and protection. Jesus points to the reason for his being in the world and then he makes a request for his followers who must remain there. They needed their faith to grow. They needed to grow up in their faith. Jesus couldn't physically walk with them through those spaces. If they were to do the growing, they needed to do. In order to better understand the meaning of this prayer, we need to know what the Gospel of John means by the phrase, the world, in the world. This Gospel uses the words, the world, to mean the worldly system. It's not the world in the sense of the natural world, as in the beauty of a sunset. From the first chapter of John, there is a sense of conflict between Jesus and the world, the world system. There, we are told, he was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. Three times in this gospel, the phrase ruler of this world is used with the sense that the evil one is in control of this world system. We are told the world will hate Jesus and his followers, and it will rejoice when Jesus is executed. In other words, the world system is a pretty grim reality. Jesus is concerned for those he leaves in this world system. Just before he begins the prayer in our scripture, Jesus says to the disciples, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When you and I are concerned for the people we love as they move about out there in what we call the cold, cruel world, our uneasiness seems justified. Jesus was right. In the world we have trouble. That's why parents get concerned when their kids don't call home and it's late. That's why parents end up buying things like cell phones for their kids to stay in contact with them as they are out in the world. That's why we want to know who our kids are hanging around. In this world system, there's plenty of trouble just waiting. At least it seems to pounce on unsuspecting and vulnerable people. Now, some people may say, 
this is a negative attitude, but I believe the opposite is true. To acknowledge trouble in the world system is to be realistic, which doesn't automatically mean that we are disheartened and down on life itself. Remember Jesus said, I have overcome the world, the world system, and the ruler of that system. And because he has, and because he offers an example and teaches us the way, we also have overcome the world. Jesus' prayer opens up a window to God's purpose in the world. As much as I would have liked to turn the car around and taken each of our kids home when they were experiencing bullying at school, I knew I didn't have that option in that moment. I had to face the fact that I couldn't fully prevent bad things and people being ugly to them at different points in their lives. They had a life to live and maturity to gain along the way, even in these things. As painful as that was to swallow for a parent and a child alike. So I watched them wave goodbye and sat in the car and prayed through a bunch of tears for God's protection when I couldn't be there when they faced the unkind of this world. For Jesus, there was a world to reach, a mission to undertake, and the glory of God to be revealed. And glory and, and, and glorify God, he did. Lives were touched, healing came to many, God through the Spirit was brought to the center of people's hearts, his closest followers were gathered, and the time of transition was upon them. As Jesus prayed, he knew that his road was paved with anguish and suffering because of the world, but his destination was always in clear sight. So too was his understanding of the disciples' destination. Even in Jesus' last hours, the bright light of God's glory was shining through the cracks of that dark world that he had to overcome. Hope was briefly hidden in the shadow of a cross, but the full glory of God would break out of a grave, emptying death of its power. The first few phrases of Jesus' prayer sound like a victory song. Then quickly Christ turns to those who must stay behind. How he loved them and how he might have wished he could take them along on the journey too. To just, to just zoom on past any suffering they might have to endure. But he knew they needed to stay. They had a mission to complete, a world to reach. Jesus' purpose would become their purpose. His hands and feet and love would soon become their hands and feet and love. The last verse of our reading expresses a deeper sense of Jesus' concern for the disciples as he prays to God, I am coming home to you, but they have to stay in the world. Watch over them and protect them so that they may be one 
as we are one. Watch over them and protect them so that they may be one as we are one. The central thought on Jesus' heart is that there is a deep-seated, unbreakable oneness to reach for at the center of the disciples' life together. If we look at Christian history, it's clear that his concern was well-founded. We are not talking here about a shallow surface unity of good cheer and backslapping congeniality. This unity Christ prays for is critical to the mission of the church. In the beginning of his prayer, Jesus says to God, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. He knows without oneness with God, he could never have completed that work. So also without the oneness of the community of Christ, the glory of God can't fully be revealed in the world. In other words, the work of Christ would not be completed without the disciples' work and without yours and mine as well. Yes, there were many dangers in the world in terms of threat to the lives of Jesus' followers. The earliest years of the church were filled with persecution and suffering. Yet no danger was a greater threat to the work and witness of the people of Christ than the destruction of the oneness that Jesus prayed for. And the source of that oneness was and always will be the Spirit of Christ himself. And so it is even today, maybe even more today during this pandemic than last year, we must remain united in service, in love, and in faith through a variety of means. May God protect us from the world's spirit of division and keep us from losing our purpose as we journey on the path of Christ. Will you pray with me? Gracious, loving God, help us to stand in the world as witnesses to you and unafraid to offer ourselves in love and care to all of creation. We pray this in the name of Christ, who continues to protect us by the Holy Spirit this day. Amen.